All right. So before we get into the breakdown of the episode, did you have anything that you've been seeing you wanted to recommend? I was thinking about just getting the recommendations up off the top so in case people don't make them all the way through the episode breakdowns. Uh, I have some things I recommend highly, uh, but I already recommended them previously. I'll recommend them to you now real briefly because I've already discussed them on the pod. On Peacock, Poker Face with uh, Tasha, Natasha Leone. I'm really happy to see that it's gotten very good reviews, but because it's on Peacock, I'm like, who's going to watch this? It, it was the most watched TV show last week. So it is- I uh, saw people two episodes. It's a lot of fun. That's right. Especially, yeah. the, especially the pilot, I would say. I usually don't like pilots at all. I thought the pilot was like a perfect little mini movie. I was like very enthused by it. I agree. That is a fun thing to watch. Did you watch uh, any of uh, Your Honor? Did you like that? Oh, yes. I love Your Honor. This, this week episode. was really, really good. It was good. Yeah, it's been a very different show. Check out our coverage of Your Honor if you happen to be watching that. We have that here in the same feed as well. And I wasn't able to record with Sona because this weekend was so busy, but I have actually already recorded her a conversation with her where we discuss Poker Face. We also discuss this most recent episode of Your Honor, and we'll be recapping that at the end of this upcoming week. So that will be there as well. Love will abide. Take things in stride Sounds like good advice But there's no one at my side And time washes clean Love's wounds unseen That's what someone told me but I don't know what it means Cause I've done everything I know To try and make you mine And I think I'm gonna love you For a long, long time So let's get into this episode of The Last of Us. This is the third episode of the season. And the episode is called... It's called Long, Long Time. Which is the uh, uh, Linda Ronstadt song that they reference multiple times. In the I love that song, by the way. It's on my playlist. I put it on every playlist. Do you like that song? It makes me want to cry. <laughs> I do like that song. Not my favorite Linda Ronstadt song, but one kind of... And I think it was pretty popular, actually, back in the day. But one I've kind of... Uh, forgotten about, which is always good to have someone remind you of, especially music. I love that song. Yeah, this song is before my time, but it, but I did like it. So yeah, this is a change of pace. And I'll get into how it differentiates from the story in the game. They have been following the game pretty closely, but with some variations, they, ex they expand on certain topics. And um, although this is kind of a tragic story here between Bill and Frank, the uh, game uh, story there outcome is even bleaker in a way. I'll, I'll save that for the end for, for differences between the game and the, the show. The, interestingly, this episode starts off, I was like, oh, you know, we're not getting that flashback structure. I was pretty sure that we're going to keep going back and forth in time as they're going to be fleshing out this uh, outbreak after the first two episodes that kind of seemed to be the format. So I'm like, oh, it's a change of pace. We, we're opening with Ellie and with Joel. They are about 10 miles outside of Boston. She's an interesting character because Joel is about to say when she starts to address him, 
She offers his, him his jacket back. It's kind of just making a little peace offering here. Obviously, they just lost Tess in the previous episode. He's still smarting from that. He says, don't say sorry. Like, don't apologize. I don't want to hear your apology. And she gets actually gives a great answer, which is, don't put it on me. You know, I'm sorry it happened, but you guys wanted a battery or something. You guys were going to go on this mission either way. This has like nothing to do with me. <laughs> so basically saying, don't blame me for this. And he sits there, hears it, then he gives her a little nod and he's like, yeah, you're right. Which is like, the, they're, they're a good couple in this way. They're, they're good companions here because that's kind of what he needed to hear. <laughs> kind of, it was better for him to hear that than to sulk further about this whole circumstance. Plus they're in an environment where at any moment, either one of them could be eliminated. So really almost nothing is their fault at this point. Yeah, they're all on borrowed time here. But I, I just think that it's it was a little bit of cold water for him to hear that because it would be easy to have that, you know, if you if it wasn't for you, Tess would still be alive. And she's just reframing it being like, you guys were heading outside of the city regardless. Like, I, I'm just I'm just along for the ride. Right? That, that's not why you guys are doing this. He's looking for his cousin is really his primary motivator still. I like that even though they didn't start with the usual formula of the last two episodes. Yeah describing even further what is going on they do still they explain do do it mm-hmm. in yes. the flashback that comes way yeah. further where there is a discussion between the two men about the situation so they are still explaining stuff to us in a really intelligent way which is great Oh, yeah, I totally agree. That's where I I was starting with was watching the episode. I was like, oh, they broke their format. But then, of course, you're absolutely correct. We do have our flashback. It ends up being the opposite of what we've seen before, where we have a small flashback and then we're in present time for the rest of the episode. They've flipped the structure a little bit where we're in present time just for the bookends and the rest of it, we're in flashback, actually. And I like that because I talked about this last week where I just don't want to see them run around in weeds so <laughs> yes, although they're <laughs> running around in weeds here, though <laughs> they they're always going to run around in some weeds. But it was nice to have them in a different location for this week. So yeah, they're about ten miles outside of Boston. They have about a five-hour hike. He says to get to the compound where Frank and Bill. We discover we we don't know who they are yet, but we'll find out in great detail their relationship over the course of this episode. But he is hiking with her. She seems to be five miles. Hey, that's not, I mean, five hours. Hey, I can do that. It's not a big deal, but she's, hasn't been outside. I found it, their banter is actually very interesting here. I like, she mentions, oh man, planes. I've never been in a plane before. You were so lucky you got to fly in a plane. And he points out, so did they, like the plane that basically has crashed, crashed into the, this, into the field. So uh, yeah, so it's, everything's a double-edged sword, I guess, in this case. And I do like this, this kind of sarcastic humor that's kind of developing between the two of them. There's a running joke here that she keeps asking for a gun <laughs> and he keeps shooting her down, but he she does get a gun by the end of the episode. How gross was it when they're in the basement of Cumberland Farms? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And she's like cutting open that creature that is yep. stuck in the wall. So disgusting. What was coming it's, out of his face? Tendrils? That's just, yeah, that's just the fungus growing out of his So face. disgusting. Which is, uh, if you've seen this particular fungus that they're mentioning here, that's how it grows. So yeah, let's get to that. Uh, Along their hike, she actually has a particular spot that he is supposed to check in with. It's this Cumberland Farms where somebody, some contact he has, has hidden away some supplies there. He's trying to find where those supplies are. 
she's very excited to find some tampons, <laughs> very important supply when you are a, a, <laughs> a woman, of course. He's still trying to find this hidden compartment, which he finally does locate. He actually ends up putting one of his guns away there. He says, there's not a lot of ammunition for this. So better to leave it here where it's safe and we can come back for it if we do find ammunition to match. And while he is looking for this booty that's been left there for him, or he, I don't know if he, I'm pretty sure it's someone else who's left it there. It's just kind of a depot where people go and leave supplies. By the way, this show more and more so to me, maybe because I know it's based on a video game, feels like video game mechanics, right? Where you have to like go to certain locations, you have to get certain supplies, et cetera. Um, and you have like certain, you know, checkpoints and missions you need to accomplish. So they do do a good job of both having that mechanic and of course, fleshing those characters out. But I do feel it here more. It makes me actually question the fact that maybe all stories are kind of structured this way. I'm just hyper aware of it because I know this is based on a video game. <laughs> As you mentioned, she finds this trap door. And that's curious too. Like, how did this guy end up down there? Did he get infected and someone threw him down there? But then how did he get trapped inside that wall? It makes me wonder like what actually happened at that place. He wasn't down there with other people because that's the only body we find. Yeah, how did he get stuck in a wall? It's like he was growing out of it. No, the wall collapsed on top of him, but it still you know, begs the question of how did that happen? Like, how did this wall collapse on top of him? And how did he get down there by himself? You would assume perhaps that you'd find more than one infected because maybe there was one infected, infected other people. They threw them down there, you know, to quarantine them. But he's all that by himself. And then he's trapped in that wall. It's a very weird circumstance, that whole entire thing. So I'm curious to know if they are actually going to explain what actually happened at that Cumberland farm at some point in the past. Probably but, not. <laughs> probably not. Exactly. It could be his friend. It could be the guy who actually supplies him. That's a good point. And he could have quarantined himself, right, rather than infecting somebody else. Still doesn't explain how he got trapped inside that wall. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> yes. And she does not mention any of this to him. She does a little uh, dissection of his skull to look at the fungus growing underneath. And then she and, stabbed uh, him in the head. Yeah, which I don't think would kill these things, by the way. It's like, uh, you know, you do a lobotomy on these things. You know, that's my, my. Uh, I always have uh, my nitpicks about zombie shows and movies that the logic doesn't always make sense. And this is a little, this one's a little annoying to me too. How do you kill these zombies? I mean, supposedly you if you- blow them up? Yeah, I mean, supposedly if you like shoot them in the head, which under understandable, right? Like any kind of creature, if you like sever its spine or something, it can't come after you anymore. That makes perfect sense. What doesn't make so much sense is if this thing you would assume would be working purely on like lower brain functions, it's not like using your conscious mind. So like, you know, stabbing it in the frontal lobe, it's like people do that when they get like a lobotomy and, and then they go home, they, they don't die immediately. So I, this doesn't, this doesn't quite fly with me. They need a little more explanation of how these things work. I think they're getting there. They do keep explaining it. No, they're trying. <laughs> they're trying. <laughs> More problematic as they're, <clears throat> this is where it triggers the flashback in the episode as they march ahead. He wants to go around. He's like, let's go this way. She says, oh no, I want to see what are you trying to hide from me? And this is very grim stuff. We see a bunch of bodies that have been burned, uh, the remains of them anyway. And he explains that these were people who were not infected, but they simply were not enough space for them in the quarantine zone. So the military simply burned them up because, hey, burned bodies can't get infected. So that's one way to keep those people from infecting people further. It's cool, though, that they went right from the people who were clearly exterminated, and yeah. they then show you the people right after. Yeah, we flash back directly to it, yeah. You actually see, like, what we see there's a baby blanket there, uh, sadly, and we see this mother with her baby, and then we, of course, we know, due to the flashback, that the mother and the child did not survive. 
But someone did survive someone underground. This prepper, played by Nick Offerman, has been uh, prepping for some kind of apocalyptic or government takeover uh, his whole entire life. And uh, so he survives after the military rolls through. And he is kind of uh, living one of these post-apocalyptic fantasies of an antisocial person who gets the whole town to himself. He can drink all the wine he wants. He's pretty good at cooking rabbits. He uh, has everything to himself. He enjoys setting booby traps and watching <laughs> the uh, zombies step into these booby traps. Never gets old, as he says. <laughs> that's that's his entertainment. Oh, yeah. This guy is loving his life. <laughs> right. His house is immaculate, by the way, perfectly organized. He's just driving around the same town in his yeah. car like he's going somewhere. He grabs he a, a boat. I mean, he, he gets all the supplies he wants. He gets a boat. He fills it up with gas. He has gas. He has a generator for the house. He has fencing. He's good to go. He stops at Home Depot. <laughs> I love the Home Depot stop. He's just yeah. throwing stuff in the carts, <laughs> exactly. moving along. And the Home Depot still has the automatic like on and off lights. Mm -hmm. It's very cool. So then that is like kind of plays into the fantasy we've seen in many post-apocalyptic type movies. If you're this type of person, then this is your ideal circumstance. And into <laughs> this circumstance comes Frank, who's played by Murray Bartlett from uh, White Lotus season one, who just won an Oscar. I mean, won an Emmy for White Lotus season one. He's now a regular here on HBO shows. And he falls into one of these traps and uh, says, look, I'm not infected. Bill, of course, is very careful. He actually has one of these testers, makes sure that he does turn green. The light does turn green. Turns out this guy has escaped the quarantine zone from Baltimore and has walked, or I guess they started probably by, by car and eventually by foot, trying to get to Boston. Uh, he's lost all his compatriots. He had nine people with him, and he's the last survivor. And so close, 10 miles away from Boston. But of course, he never makes it to Boston because he strikes up not only a friendship with Bill, but a romance with Bill as well. And this is actually very sweet. They was talking about like last week about how <laughs> the show needed to have a little more humanity to it. This is this interesting romance that blooms between the two of them in like the worst possible circumstance in the world, right? So, I mean, which of course, that in and of itself would probably make you be in a relationship with whoever survived as well. <laughs> but uh, it <laughs> I is, was about it is... to say, I'm like, it's not like there's lots of options. There's not it's that not many like options, he's exactly. on match.com or anything and he could just swipe and message whoever there's just this one guy and he happens to like him so right. he wins and then we flash forward about three years into their relationship and uh, you see how bill has softened somewhat he still is pretty toughened by his life i mean even before i find it very funny at one point where he accuses him of being of like a paranoid schizophrenic. And he goes, you believe that the military are a bunch of Nazis? <laughs> and Bill responds, they are a bunch of Nazis. And he goes, yeah, but you always felt that way. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yes, now they are, but you felt that way even before the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> so yeah, there's some humor here. There's some really nice moments as well that we find out you know, through these, these flashbacks that this is actually where the music coding came from this is how they communicate via the it, it was that um, was cool when i Frank's found that idea out. right yeah who's gonna do it now that's a good question i mean if these are the people they were communicating with i guess nobody is right that's but sad i wanted to hear like a playlist all the way through and i'm pretty sure in the game there are more this might be the case that over time maybe this has become a method of communication across multiple quarantine zones so maybe we will hear more music what does do you remember what 70s means because i'm thinking about the ronstadt Song. I mean, 80s, 80s was, was danger. danger. Yeah. 
I forget what 70s was. I was just so focused on danger. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, they, they, um, Bill did play that song specifically to bring Joel there, theoretically. But we'll get to that by the end. We're still 20 years, I guess, 17 years in the past at this point. It was interesting to find out that Frank is like, we need to, I want to have guests. I want to communicate with people. Bill, of course, is like, what are you talking about? We can't let anybody, we're better off not letting anybody know. And I like Frank saying, like, I've been communicating with this woman. She seems very nice. And Bill is like, what are you talking about? He's freaking out. <laughs> and it turns out that nice woman he's been communicating with turns out to be Tess, which is kind of shocking to me because for some reason I felt that Tess and Joel had this convenient relationship. But it was like one of those things where they were not together that long. But according to this, they've been together for a really long time, like over a decade at least. So that was a pretty shocking. Or they just knew each other, but they look too friendly no, for that. Why would you travel with her? No. And and not and they definitely were a romantic pair because think about, you know, I'm jumping ahead here and we'll get back to it. But the letter at the end, obviously the assumption is that it's a romantic pair between the two of them. Yeah. So they come for that date at their compound. Joel, uh, you know, they have two very different... Uh, personalities, but Joel and Bill are pretty similar people, or Joel has become that type of person anyway. <laughs> I like how Bill's had this, that gun on him the whole time, and Joel's like, please don't hold the gun on me at least. And <laughs> he says, you know what? That fence is not going to last. You know, We can help each other out. I can bring you supplies. You can put up a fence that'll last you for decades, and you can help us out too. And one of the things, I mean, I'm sure there's other quid pro quos that go back and forth between this couple over time, but one of them, one of the nicest ones during the flashback is where Frank went and got some strawberry seeds and he goes, I traded a gun for it, but don't worry, it was a small gun because, <laughs> you know, Bill loves his guns, the strawberries. It really made you think about that fact. Imagine you have not like tasted a strawberry in like decades and what, how, what, what that experience would feel like. And they have this little rapturous moment where they're eating a strawberry for the first time and God knows how long. They are so sweet together. Yeah. They really did a good job of bringing these two people together who spend, what was that, a decade? At, how many years were they together? I mean, we flash back to 2003, so it's the, and we're 20 years past that. So it's almost the entire 20 years. The chemistry between the two actors was really believable. Ah, oh, I felt so <laughs> sad. Yeah, and then interestingly... Joel had warned them that the, you know, his booby traps and everything would keep the zombies out. But at some point, these raiders are going to come and try to attack. And that happens, right? We see the flames going off. We see these raiders, are, like he's booby trapped everything. There's like gas and flames. And, but he gets shot for a minute there. You know, Bill's even saying this to Frank. He's like, you know, contact Joel. He'll take care of you. It really seems like we're about to say goodbye to a Bill. But then we don't. It's very interesting. We jump ahead another five or six years or something like that. And we see that actually Bill survived the shooting. And now um, Frank actually has Parkinson's or something similar. Even when you're luck out and you survive the apocalypse, that you know you could have some de degenerative disease is going to come and get you regardless. And we see them. They have kind of a routine. He's still trying to paint, but you see he's struggling to paint because his uh, hand is getting weaker and weaker. He's medicated, so I'm sure you know they can probably raid any pharmacy they want. So they probably did some research to find out what medicine might help. But you know this is degenerative; it can only help for so long. He can't walk anymore. This all leads to one night where he actually was able to get himself out of the bed, but got himself back into the wheelchair, and he just sits in the chair all night. And then when Bill wakes up, he tells him, "This is my last day." So he wants them to give him one more perfect day. Then we just see them like kind of having this 
usual day together. They have a wedding ceremony. It's very sweet as well. And then he has uh, Bill, asks Bill to prepare him one more dinner. And uh, in that dinner, he crushes up the pills. And not only does he drug Frank, he drugs himself as well. That was very Romeo and Juliet. I did find that last conversation really great where Frank says, I should be annoyed with you that you are poisoning yourself here. (laughs) He goes, but from you, this is a very romantic gesture. (laughs) (laughs) Aww. So I'm wondering if the formula, I guess there's not just one formula, is going to be them running into people that they need to speak to in order to get to where they're going and then having these life stories told about them. That would be nice also. I would assume we're going to find out people's backstories as well. I don't know if you saw the scenes from next week, but we see... um... Melanie Linsky from Yellow Jackets in the this, some next way station that whatever quarantine zone they arrive at, she seems to be like the leader at this compound. And I guess we get to find out how that all happened. So yeah, I, I assume that's going to be the case. And once again, that kind of maps similarly to the way the game mechanic is. And I don't know if they're all going to be as interesting as this particular episode, but it just grants these characters some kind of humanity. And I think that I needed something where there was some sense of humanity and positivity in this world. And I did think this was interesting to have these characters who basically, even at the end of the world, are finding love, right? So it's like, you know, it gives you hope that, you know, even in the bleakest of moments that that there is still some uh, humaneness within us, right? It's not just survival and killing each other, (laughs) that there's something more to to life. You got your wish. (laughs) Yeah, We'll see how long that lasts. So <laughs> that the the trailer for next week was a little bleak again, <laughs> but we'll see. We'll see. So yeah, so they have that final meal. Bill takes Frank to bed and then they uh, curl up for one last time. Obviously, they pass away that night. And then we get to intersecting with Ellie and um, Joel's story. Obviously, they arrive on the compound. There's that sweet letter we see there, which is for Joel or whoever. <laughs> I like uh, Ellie reading the letter and <laughs> channeling the uh sarcastic laughter in in it saying, I assume this is Joel reading this or you would have been killed by my booby traps. He explains, you know, the whole circumstance of what happened. And this is where I think the the show could even be, even its romantic gesture of suicide, it could still be a little bleak. But I really think the letter was important here as well. And he said this earlier to Frank that he had never been afraid until Frank was there because then for the first time in his life, he had something that he was afraid of losing. And that at the end, he even says to him, I'm not just committing suicide because I'm like depressed or whatever. This isn't the tragic suicide at the end of the play. I'm old. I'm satisfied. And you were my purpose. I do not support this. Oh, I should be furious. But from an objective point of view, it's incredibly romantic. <laughs> He's just that he needed a reason to live 
And Frank was that reason. And now that Frank was dead, he was old and he was tired and he was good. He was satisfied with the life he had led. And I think that was a very positive message to end on. And then, of course, this is very important. This is where thematically it's important as well. In that letter, he's basically saying to Joel, you need to have the same thing. You need a reason to fight. So fight for Tess's life. And that's where Ellie stops reading the letter, because of course, Tess, we know, has died. But like we talked about last week already, he does need, Joel needs a reason to fight, a reason to live, to, to fight for somebody. And of course, that person becomes Ellie over the course of this show, I would assume. And that's already seems to be the case at this point. And with that, they load for bear. Ellie does find a gun in one of the drawers and uh, doesn't tell Joel about it. She's been looking for a gun this whole entire time. And uh, Joel basically says, look, this is my mission. My cousin was a firefly. I want to reunite with him. I'm going to deliver you to him. I'm sure he's going to want to take you the rest of the way. We're probably all in this together. I just need you to listen to what I say and uh, not ask questions about it, but I'll do what I can to get you where you need to get. Finally, kind of come to an agreement in those final moments. They find the Linda Ronstadt CD in the car, of course, as one of his favorite songs. And it plays as they drive away with a new car and with plenty of supplies to get them uh, much, much further along. I'm sure they'll get like jumped another hundred miles away from wherever they are now. But until then, they'll probably have a pretty smooth ride. And they're probably in a better situation at this moment than they were at the beginning of the episode. But Oh, yeah, definitely. They even showered. Oh, yes, that's right. She told them to go take a shower. and uh, Yeah, go take, take a, a shower, shower, stingy boy. Absolutely. You got to take uh, you got to take advantage of that while you can. I mean, can you imagine you probably they, they probably never shower. <laughs> so this is probably a luxury you can't imagine. I, w- I would actually, have stayed one night in that house. I don't care if there's dead people in one of the rooms. Yeah, I wanted to have like have a nice meal. Uh, I mean, I'm sure they brought food with them, actually. So maybe they, you know No, what? they maybe just kept going. Get... They didn't even sleep. They just showered and got back on the road. He must be really an- anxious to get to, I guess, his cousin. I mean, he's already late from what I could tell. If he's really worried that his something's up with his cousin, the sooner he can get there, the better. The idea that he was sleeping at some point when he could have been doing something is probably going to weigh on him. And not only that, like if this, you know, every moment that they're out in the wild, there are probably people who are on their tail. Like there are probably people who are looking for them and it could be fireflies. It could be the military. You know, they're only 10 miles outside the quarantine zone. Uh, This place is not going to be impossible to find if someone's actually on their trail. Maybe the best thing they could do is just to get the hell out of there. (laughs) So I can understand that as well. That's true. You don't want to... Lots of food. (laughs) Yes, they did though. She could have gotten more than one gun with her. There were hundreds of guns in this basement and they were all pretty small, except for the one wall that just had rifles. Well, he would have kept her from getting it. That one, he she just found it in a drawer, right? So that's why she was able to s- smuggle it out. Hmm. I think she's going to save his life with this gun that she smuggled. She could. I mean, she could get herself into trouble, too. It remains to be seen. Anyway, I never liked you. But still, it's like we're friends. Almost. And I respect you. So I'm going to tell you something, because you're probably the only person who will understand. I used to hate the world, and I was happy when everyone died. But I was wrong, because there was one person worth saving. That's what I did. I saved him. Then I protected him. That's why men like you and me are here. We have a job to do. 
so the difference here between the game, by the way, and the show apparently is uh, Frank. He gets into a fight with Bill. He's out and about. One of the uh, creatures bites him. He gets infected. He hangs himself rather than changing into one of these creatures. And then Joel and Ellie show up and Bill tells them that he had left a note behind for him, basically saying that he hated being with Bill, that Bill had been this like terrible person his whole entire life, and he had been trapped with him. And in a way, he's kind of happy that he died <laughs> and didn't have to live with Bill anymore. So a very, very grim <laughs> version in the game compared to what we saw here in, in the show. That's and I prefer, so weird. like I said, we need <laughs> we needed more humanity here than <laughs> I do not want to see just the constant, never ending bleakness of of the, the game world. <laughs> wow hang yourself rather than live with Bill or turn into a mushroom. Like yeah, both so, well, sounds I, I so terrible. It, I don't think it was the Bill thing that would drove him to suicide or, or maybe, although he, a little salt in the wound to throw him under the bus there when you're going to kill yourself either way. When you're dying, uh, that's awful. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Last dig. I thought this was way sweeter. Like, oh, it was so sweet. Yeah. Yeah. And we will see next week uh, how it goes. I want to see what? what happened to this little girl's parents. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, Ellie. I don't think she, she was an orphan, right? So we're not. I don't, I don't know if we're going to meet her parents, but we're going to probably know what happened to them because there's something about them. When she was orphaned, she was left behind with the fireflies, and then the fireflies put her in protective custody inside the military school. So even though they didn't know if she was going to be immune or something, I wonder if she was given some kind of... Uh, of her parents were like scientists or something because it's all very her whole backstory is very shady so i'm curious to know what the you know actual story is going to be there like what her backstory is and how she ended up that orphan in the first place and how you know even though she was orphaned ended up under the you know under the care of the fireflies and the fireflies somehow put her into this military school so all of that is interesting that all you know it's pretty complicated backstory so i'm sure we'll find out what led to it in the first place. I love the last scene of this episode where the window's still open because they yes. left the window open so that you can't stink up the house. It's almost yeah. like their spirits were watching the car drive away. Yeah. And there's that moment also when uh, he's going to open the door, uh, which is locked, but the window's open and the, the front door slams shut. So it's like as if they're like passing through the house. Yeah. It was very nice, this episode. And I needed a little more, <laughs> like a little people, like just, you know, not just being self-serving monsters and just killing each other just to survive one more day. I'm like, I, I needed a little, that life was still worth living for some reason, even, even, even in the grimmest of times, you know, life is still worth living. And I needed, I, I just don't embrace see how they're going to get out of this. So I'm usually glass half full about everything. It's just a better way to go. Cause why pick the other alternative, but I'm watching this and thinking, if I was these people, I would I would not know how to do that. I'd be like, you know, half empty, definitely. <laughs> we are going to die. We're going to turn into mushrooms. We don't even <laughs> yeah. know how to avoid turning into mushrooms. This is like, I, I don't know how I would feel. Yeah. But it would it's, not be grim. glass it's half full. <laughs> it's definitely grim. All right. We will check out next week's episode and uh, we'll come back with our... Uh, thoughts on the next uh, episode as well cool all right talk to you soon